Isaiah 58 in the Bible. And once you have found that, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. Isaiah chapter 58. Uh, Two weeks ago, we started out looking at this passage and got through about the first four or five verses. And that's as far as we got. Tonight, we're going to finish the chapter uh, with the time we have remaining. Let's look at verse 1. And we'll read down through verse number 4. The Bible says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgressions, and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily, and to light to do my ways as a nation that did righteousness, and forsook not the ordinances of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in Approaching to God, wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not, wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge, behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure, and exact all your labors, behold, ye fast for strife, and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness, ye shall not fast as ye do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. The title of the Bible study again is this, The Sin of hypocrisy. Let's pray together tonight. Lord, as we dive back into this uh, very important topic of, Lord God, being genuine and real uh, on the inside, more so than what we portray on the outside, help us, Lord, to be very honest with ourselves. And, Lord, tonight we'll dive into what it is to be a true follower of God, to be a follower of Jesus, and what that looks like and what that means. Lord, what you had laid out for the Israelites before the coming of Christ, and which you have laid out for us during the church age, is not really all that different as far as our behavior goes. And so help us to have an honest evaluation of things tonight. And Lord God, guide us forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let's hop in and review the first point of our Bible study here, and then we'll pick up with point number two as we seek to better understand the passage We said point number one of our outline was the problem with hypocrites. Look down with me at um, verse number two, and let's notice the problem with hypocrites. First, their formalism, their formalism. Verse two, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation, or as, as if they were a nation that did righteousness. So they're pretending to be righteous. There is this pretending as though they have have it all together, as though they've never done anything wrong. They are seeking God daily as though they're pure as the driven snow, although deep down inside they're covered in the muck and mire of sin. And so there is a hypocrisy in the way they're presenting themselves to God in this daily seeking. They seek me daily in delight to know my ways as a nation or as if they were a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinances of their God, uh, ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. Uh, they take delight in approaching to God. So they're coming to God through this religious formalism. They're coming to God as though they have it all together on the outside. Uh, they're, they're showing up to the synagogue. They're going through all of the practices. They have a form of religion. We said last week that hypocrites 
or two weeks ago rather, that hypocrites are highly religious. They're highly religious. You don't generally find hypocrites that sit at home and just do church at home. Most hypocrites have found themselves in the bedrock of a church. They they are deep down involved in a church and uh, they show up the church and they get involved and they want the spotlight. They want the attention, their formalism. We said uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 5, the Bible says in the last days uh, that men would be lovers of their own selves. Further down in 2 Timothy 3, again verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof of such turn away, from such turn away. And so many Christians today that attend church, they have the outward appearance altogether. They they know how to look the part, talk the part, act the part. They have just enough Bible memorized to make everyone think that they're pious and they're holy and that they're godly. But if you were to see them at random in a store ordering food, they're rude to the server. If you were to see them on the highway and you didn't know they were watching, you would see a less than Christian side of them. If you were to see them in their own home, what was on their television screen or what was playing over their uh, home device, uh, it is less than that which pleases the Lord. They uh, are formalistic in their religion, but they're denying the power of godliness. Letter A, we saw their formalism. Letter B, we saw their fasting. Their fasting. Look back at verse number 4. The Bible says, Behold, ye fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. It is such a fast that I, is this, is, is it such a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? He says, your fasting is simply for show. Your fasting is simply so that you can have strife. The parallel passage here is James 4 where he says that uh, you, 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 you ask, uh, rather, from whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not in, even of the uh, lust that war in your members? You, 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 uh, he goes on and says that you're praying, but you're praying that you can uh, consume it upon your own lust. And we think of the passage in Matthew 6 where the Pharisees are fasting, yes, but God is turned off by their fasting. Um, uh, how many of you here have ever done something for someone, but you did a good deed out of spite because you were upset with them and you did not do the good deed because you loved them? You did the good deed toward them so you could make them feel guilty and you did it out of spite. And sometimes people behave in a certain way and God does not look down upon that religious behavior and accept it. God looks down on it and He's turned off by it. He's totally turned off by it. Um, someone who sits out in public and reads their Bible, not because they love God, but because they want to be seen of man. Uh, how about the person on social media who will uh, get the Bible positioned just right on the table with the cup of coffee angle just right and a couple of spiritual help, self-help books stacked in the background and they take the picture of their morning devotions with the Lord uh, when all they're wanting to do is show everyone how spiritual they are on social media. Listen, we're walking with God, walking with God, and God is not at all pleased because we're in it 
for ourselves. You say, is it wrong to post a picture of you having devotions or your devotions on social media? And the question just comes down to what is your heart and why did you actually post that? But God looks down at their fasting and he says, I see the motive of your heart. And it is all wrong. You're not fasting so that you can get hold of heaven. You're not fasting because you are, uh, 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 let's see, um, you're not grieved over the, the bad behavior of your life. You're not doing this so you can repent and get hold of heaven. You're doing it simply to put on a show and show off how spiritual you are. You have an outward appearance of godliness, but you have an inward reality of wickedness. Their form, uh, formalism, their fasting. And then we said letter C, their frustration. Look with me at verse number 3. Verse number 3. Wherefore have we fasted, say thee? And thou seest not. Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure, and exact all your labors. So we understand that when we fast, what is it to fast? It is a denying of the desires of the flesh. So, If I were to, for instance, take a day or two or three or some people will fast for a week at a time or they'll do a Daniel fast and fast for 21 days at a time. And and, and during that time of fasting where I'm not eating food, but I'm out doing other things that pleasure my flesh, I'm completely going against the purpose of fasting. Why, why, Why do we fast? Well, the real purpose of fasting is so that we can Put down the flesh in a more effective way so that we can have a pure relationship with God in prayer. And so if you fast, just to give you an example, if you fast from food and while your family is sitting there having dinner, you're scrolling through social media and you're being vain on social media, well you're completely missing the purpose of the fast. If instead of, uh, of of praying during a meal, you're out doing something that is indulging the flesh. Ladies, maybe you're getting a manicure or a pedicure. I, I, I don't know what it would be. Uh, guys, maybe you're out uh, enjoying a sports game and you're giving in. The, your, your fast is not at all spiritual. Now, there's medical fast. There's many different reasons why we fast. But if the fast is going to be spiritual, we are denying the flesh so that we can get hold of heaven and talk to the Lord. And we don't need to be do that to be seen of men. We need to do that so that uh, we can have a deeper relationship with God. So we see the problem with hypocrites. Number two, notice the purity God desires. The purity God desires. Isaiah 58, verses 8 through 13, God lays this out for us. Let's look at three things that God desires from a man or woman who has a pure heart toward God. Letter A, a deference to the poor. Deference to the poor or toward the poor. Isaiah 58, look with me at verse number 9. Verse number 9 in your Bibles there. We're getting ready to turn over to the book of James. So once we get done with Isaiah 58, 9 and 10, turn over to James chapter 1. The Bible says, uh, thou sh- Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Then shalt thou, then shalt, thou shalt cry, rather, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity, if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry... And satisfy the afflicted soul. Then shalt thy light rise in obscurity and thy darkness be as the noonday. He says here, instead of looking out for your own good, instead you're looking out for those who 
are hungry and have not their own to take care of themselves. You're looking out for the poor. Turn over, if you would, uh, to James chapter 1 and verse number 26. We in American churches and Western cultured churches, we have a false idea of what it means to be godly. We think that if we uh, wear nice clothes on Sunday and consistently go to church and we have a Bible that's well used and verses that are underlined and that we uh, had some time of devotion with the Lord during the week and uh, we uh, you know, didn't use any bad words the last week and we were careful what we watched on television and uh, we uh, tried to treat people with some level of kindness that somehow that makes us godly. And, and I have to say that this is most Christians. What I just described is most Christians in most churches. But this is not what the Bible says is the epitome of being religious. Look at James 1 and look at verse 26. James says this. He says, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart... This man's religion is vain. Well, let me, before I get into verse 27, let me just say this. If you're caught up in the scuttlebutt and gossip of a church, then you are, by verse 26's definition, the epitome of a hypocrite. Because you are going to church and you have the appearance of a godly person, but yet your mouth is running amok and you're wrapped up in all of the gossip of the church and the slander of people. Do you know how such and such treated me? Do you know how such and such handled my child? Do you know how such and such did this? Did you? Uh, you know what? I wish Pastor Lejeune would be better here, and I wish Pastor Andrew would be better here. And you know what? Why is this person a deacon? Why? Uh, how about this deacon's wife? How come she behaves this way? And, and, and I sure wish the children's program would be better in that way. And on and on and on we go. You bridle not the tongue. And I just want to smile as big as I can and say, before you go criticizing others, take a good, long, hard look in the mirror at yourself. Because you'll find plenty to work on there first before you start in on anybody else. And that's me included. Amen? You've got to learn to bridle that tongue. We want to run our mouth and we say, well, I'm just sharing a prayer request. Stop it, you're gossiping. Well, I gotta share my, my, I gotta vent with someone. Have you gotten on your knees and vented to the Lord first? That's a good place to start. And once you're done venting to the Lord, if that doesn't satisfy you, then go to the person you have a problem with and talk to them directly or shut your mouth. You say, Pastor, are you thinking of someone in particular? No, I just pastor a church of 300 people, and I just happen to know how human nature is. And I know sometimes we need to be reminded to bridle our tongues, because our tongues get us in trouble. James would say later in this same book, he would say that uh, the tongue is the most dangerous part of the body. It is a flame set on fire of hell, and it can destroy. And we need to be very careful how we use our tongue. Just because you go to church and carry a Bible in your lap does not make you a godly person. You first need to learn how to bridle that tongue. Look at verse 27. It builds. It says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless 
and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Let me ask a very pointed question. How many fatherless and widows have you visited in the last month? Because if you haven't, you're not religious. Not my words, that's God's word. How about the last six months? When was the last time you loaded your family up in a car and you went to visit someone who didn't even know who their dad was or didn't have a dad in their house? When was the last time you went and sat with a widow whose husband had passed on and they're grieving? When was the last time you even texted one or called one or wrote a letter to one? You see, God wants us not to be focused on looking all presented well in the pew. God wants us to put some feet to our religiosity and love on those who are poor in life. I, I, uh, my heart breaks. My heart breaks over the addiction problem in our country. I mean, my heart actually breaks. I'm torn inside when I look at people who feel as though life is so helpless that they've got to turn to cocaine or heroin to bury their sorrows. And here they are addicted to narcotics. Where does most of that start? Because they didn't have a dad in the home to love them. And they grew up in a home that was dysfunctional. And life is a mess. And I just wonder, I don't mean to be unkind tonight, I'm speaking to you from my heart. I just wonder that if suburban American Christians would get off their social class high horse and get down in the gutters of life and love on those who are fatherless and broken. I wonder if every American suburban, suburbia Christian would do that. I wonder how effective that would be. It's so easy to turn our nose up at people who have less money than us or whatever the division is, wherever it's coming from, wherever the prejudice is coming from. When was the last time you showed deference to someone who was broken and poor? You see, hypocrisy comes in many forms. And I think that we think, well, you know what, I try to be authentic. I try to be honest about who I am. Yeah, but Christian, God did not save you just so that you could get along with people that smell like you and look like you and talk like you and make the same level of money as you. God saved you so that you would reach down. Do you know what the word condescend means? We think of the word condescend as a negative word, right? Someone's being condescending my direction. Maybe they're talking down at you. But do you know that Jesus condescended when He left heaven and He was born amongst us and He lived among us and He helped us? He left a higher estate, Philippians 2. He came down among us and He loved the poor. Uh, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The deference that was shown. And if American Christians, if Christians uh, of wealth would get down, they would condescend to people who make less than them and have less than them and would fully love them. 
Oh, how our religion would be pure. Oh, how our religion would be righteous to visit the fatherless and the widow. And here, back in Isaiah 58, what he's saying is, listen, you all have a form of religion, but I'm, I'm, it, it's putrefying. It's, it's abominable to me. And he said, you want to get this thing right? He said, learn how to show deference to the poor. And boy, the same is true today. Let her be the purity God desires, deference to the poor. Let her be devotion to the Lord. Devotion to the Lord. Look at me at verse 13 of Isaiah 58. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. He's saying here that on that Sabbath day, and again, this is a Jewish passage written to the Jews, but on that Sabbath day, that seventh day of the week, remember God created the earth in six days, and on the seventh day He did what, church? He, he rested. And He set that out to be a model uh, for His people Israel. And so that Sabbath day came, and uh, Sabbat to the Jews, the Sabbath day, and they were to... Rest. They were not just to rest physically. There was to be a spiritual observance and there was to be a rest, a spiritual rest. And they were to give that whole day to the Lord. They were to deny their own pleasures and they were to wholly focus on God and be rejuvenated both physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually on that day. Now, of the seven, or rather, of the Ten Commandments, the only one that is not repeated in the New Testament is remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But the principle of rest is still present. The Bible says that the Lord will be our rest. Come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Hebrews 3 and 4 talks about giving rest to those who have faith in God. And we have set aside Sunday, Resurrection Day, to be our, if you will, Sabbath where we gather and we worship the Lord. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10 with me. Hebrews 10, let's look at two passages out of the New Testament as we consider our own devotion to the Lord, the purity God desires. Again, we're talking about the sin of hypocrisy. There's this outward display of spirituality with an inward wickedness and carnality. And God says, I want you to focus in on what's inside. You see, I want you to get down in the ditch and I want you to condescend and love on the poor. He says, I want you to be devoted to me and I want there to be a true devotion deep in your heart, not to worship yourself, but to worship the Lord. Look at Hebrews 10 with me in verse 25. The Bible says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. And praise God, none of you here tonight have done that, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. And so we gather at church, and that is our devotion to the Lord. A faithful constancy uh, to church, a faithful constancy to deny ourselves. How many of you here have ever felt at any point in your Christian life, be honest, because my hand will go up on this, that uh, there was a Sunday or two or more where you had to climb over a lot of inconvenience in order to show up at church? Would you raise your hand for me? 
you had to climb over a lot of inconvenience. You had other things that were pressing, and you pushed those to the side, and you went to church on Sunday anyway. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Maybe it was even an inconvenience to your health where you didn't feel good. You weren't sick, but you just didn't feel good. You felt off, and you got up, and you came to church anyway. You know, we're to deny our own self for the purpose of being devoted to the work of the Lord and the church of the Lord. How many of you here have ever had a day where you read your Bible or you prayed and you had to climb over your flesh in order to do that? How many of you know what I'm talking about? You didn't want to, but you know that you should, you know that you needed to, and you did it. How many of you here have ever pulled a gospel track out of your pocket and handed it out and you went completely against your flesh to do it because you didn't want to do it, but the Spirit of God was clubbing you over the head and saying, give that person a track. And so you, you pulled out out the track and you gave it to him anyway. How I many you know what I'm talking about? This is denying the flesh in order to be devoted to the Lord. Someone worded it this way. There are two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. Turn over to Acts chapter 5 with me, if you will. Totally devoted to the Lord. This is not just an outward display of Christianity where we're a a fake Christmas tree with ornaments hanging off ourselves, trying to fool everyone as though that we're a real tree. No, this is being real from the inside out. The inside out. And when you get to that place where you are fully devoted to the Lord, the outside takes care of itself. Look at Acts chapter 5. Here we find some disciples that had walked with the Lord for three years, namely uh, Peter and John, and they have been arrested for their work for the Lord, and they've been tried before the council, and they have been beaten for their faith and their refusal to give up. Look at how devoted these two men were. Acts 5.41, they, they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name, and daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. The largest challenge that I face in trying to see White Oak Baptist Church grow is the prosperity of our country and the casual attitude and atmosphere of the average Christian. You see, the gospel has a hard time thriving where a people are prosperous. And uh, sometimes I feel as though if some level of persecution were to land on the church, the imposters and the hypocrites would flee and leave. And those who had a devoted heart to the Lord would become even more serious and we could actually have church. You say, Pastor, are you praying for persecution? I am not praying for persecution. But I don't know that some level of persecution would necessarily be bad for the church. Here we see that these men were beaten for preaching the name of Christ. And what did they do? They walked away with lashes on their back, rejoicing. And then they turned right back around and got their Bibles and went right back into a house Bible study. Wow! That's devotion. That's what the Lord wants. That's what that's the purity God desires. Deference to the poor. Let her be devotion to the Lord. Let her see, out of verse 13, we also see denial of the flesh. Look back with me in Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 and verse 13. Again, if thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath delight, the holy of the Lord honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own way, look here, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words.
I find most Christians that I know, including the ones at this church, are walking down one of two paths. They're walking down a path where they want, with all their heart, to glorify God with their life. They, they believe that their purpose of being on earth is to bring glory and honor to His name. And yet, there's a second type of churchgoer. And these are those who will do those things that honor the Lord, but only when it's convenient. Because they want life to revolve around what makes them feel good. You see, this path is the path of humanism. And I believe that most American churchgoers are walking down the path of humanism. It's me first and God when it's convenient. But where God wants us, Christian, is to say, may God be first and may my own pleasures not matter. You say, well, that sounds like a miserable way to live. Here's what I've learned, is that when I give my life to glorifying God, I have accomplished the purpose for why I've been made. And in the accomplishing of that purpose, I find more joy than I could ever find walking down a humanistic path. You understand why God made Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? He made them to bring Him glory. And as long as they stayed away from sin and they walked with them, they were satiated. They were satisfied. They were fulfilled. But the moment that they ate that fruit and broke fellowship with God, misery began to set in because they chose the path of humanism. And I see that so many Christians, instead of denying the flesh, they deny the Savior. Instead of denying the flesh, they deny the Lord. And what God wants us to do is deny the flesh and follow the Lord. Here He says, if you're going to honor the Lord on the Sabbath day, then you're going to have to say no to your own pleasure. Consider Luke chapter 8, verse 14. Turn over there with me, if you will. We're going to look at a verse in Luke and then two verses in 2 Timothy. You see, you cannot be devoted to the Lord unless you're willing to fully deny your flesh. And Christians, many want to have a foot in humanism and a foot in lordshipism. I know that's not a term, but you understand what I'm saying. They want to make God Lord of their life sometimes, and then they want to make themselves Lord of their life most of the time. And you, you know, you can't ride that fence. It's not, it's not logical to ride that fence. In fact, we all know there's a battle that goes on inside of us, but we ought to gear our lives and gear our homes and gear our schedules and gear our giving habits and gear everything toward pleasing the Lord and denying the flesh. Look at Luke 8:14. And that which fell among thorns are they, which when they had heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. When I see people fall out of church, and I don't mean just this church, I mean fall out of church altogether. I can tell you that almost every time they fall out of church altogether because of either cares, riches, or pleasures of this life. They let one of those three things grow up and choke out their tree of fruit. They don't deny the flesh, they cave to the flesh. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 1. 2 Timothy 3 verse 1. 
Bible says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Well, what is going to drive these perilous times? Look down at verse 4. A list of behaviors during these perilous times. These behaviors drive the perilous times. Verse 4 says, Traitors, heady, high-minded. That just means arrogant. Look at this next phrase. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. And I believe that those two right there are the dichotomous choice that you are faced with. Are you going to be more of a lover of pleasure or are you going to be more of a lover of God? You see, we, if we're going to be men and women who not only have the form of godliness, but have the power of godliness, then we're going to have to learn what it means to be pure from within. We're going to have to learn what it means to show deference to the poor. We're going to have to learn what it means to be wholly devoted to the Lord. And we're going to have to learn what it means to deny the desires of the flesh. Number two, the purity God desires. Lastly, number three, notice the promise God offers. The promises, rather, God offers. The promises God offers. Uh, Let's go through these quickly here. We've got about five minutes left. Letter A, notice, God offers a promise of illumination. A promise of illumination. Go back with me to Isaiah 58 and look at verse number seven. It says, "It is not to deal thy bread to the is it is it rather is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry and that thou bring the poor that are cast out of thy house when thou seest the naked that thou cover him and uh, that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh." That's the purpose of fasting to do the works of loving on the poor. Verse eight. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning. There's the illumination. And thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy re-reward. Look down at verse 10. And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shalt thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness as the uh, noonday. And so God says, if you'll learn how to love on the poor, in essence, within that realm of your soul, I'm going to flip on the light switch and you'll be able to see more clear than you've ever been able to see before. Life will make sense. Life will have purpose. Life will be fun. Life will be uh, enjoyable because you'll have the uh, illumination uh, on, in a, on a spiritual level in your life. Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. When we follow God's Word and obey it and we uh, uh, seek to be pure from within, we seek to show deference to the poor, we're devoted to the Lord, we're denying of the flesh, God turns on the lights and we're able to see the path clearly. I love Psalm 37, 4, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thy heart. I love the double meaning of that verse. He gives you the desires into your heart, and then as you ask Him for those desires, He gives you the desires of your heart. Wouldn't you like to pray prayers that are actually answered, and God says yes to your prayers? How do you do that? Well, you have God put the prayer request in your heart, then you pray for it, and then He gives you that answered prayer. Why? Because you're walking in the light, and you can pray accordingly. The promises God offers, let her be a promise of restoration, a promise of restoration. Look at me at verse number 
8. Then shalt thy light break forth as the morning, and thy health shall break forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy re-reward. It's a reward that just keeps rewarding you. It's a re-reward. Verse 9. Then shalt thou call, I love this, and the Lord shall answer. Then uh, thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, the putting forth of the finger and speaking vanity. If you'll put these things away, then you can know what it's like to pray and actually have your prayers heard. Have you ever prayed and felt like your your prayer was just bouncing around the room and went completely unheard and that heaven was silent as though as though that you were just praying to, to nobody? You're praying to the air? I've felt that way at times. And you know what? When you get your heart right with God and you get rid of the hypocrisy out of your heart and you start really focusing in being the Christian that God wants you to be and you let God be the Lord of your life, you let Him call the shots and you love Him and you're devoted to Him, all of a sudden when you pray, you're going to know what it's like to hear God say, here I am, son. Here I am, daughter. What is it that you need? How can I help you? What is it that you want? That restoration is made whole. We're going to skip over the verses in James 4. I would encourage you to look at those on your own time. But consider Psalm 27, 23, which says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. I, I want my steps to be ordered by the Lord. And you know what? When I'm walking down this humanistic path, I'm going to have a hard time getting anybody around me to cooperate I'm going to have a hard time getting my kids to obey. I'm going to have a hard time getting my marriage to function. I'm going to have a hard time feeling like me and God are in lockstep. But when I leave my pleasure and humanism behind and I walk down a path of glorifying God with my life, all of a sudden, when I'm having trouble with my children, God directs my steps on how to handle it. Isn't that great? When when I'm having problems with maybe being a better husband, God directs my steps and shows me how to better lead my wife and love my wife. And when I'm having a trouble being a good pastor or employer or employee, God shows me how to order those steps and get them to be right. And you know what? That is a great place to be because now, as I pray and ask God for wisdom, that prayer is heard and that prayer is answered. And so we need to set hypocrisy to the side and we need to embrace purity. Letter C, we see a promise of elevation, not only illumination and restoration, but a promise of elevation. Look down at verse 13 and 14. It says, if thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, Honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Then shalt thou delight thyself. Look here in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. James 4.10 words it this way, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And he shall lift you up. How about Matthew 23 and 11 and 12? But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. He that shall humble himself shall be exalted. I, I want to ride high upon the earth. And without getting into the Israeli explanation of what all that means tonight, and just making a practical application to me and you, you can be humble or you can be humiliated. Because God is going to abase those that raise themselves up. 
And God is going to raise those up who humble themselves. And I don't want to be a man who fights against God. I want to be a man who works with God for good and glory. Amen? Hey, I know that deep down inside of me, I have room to improve. I've got some hypocrisies that need to go. And I've got some purifying in me that needs to happen. Amen? How many of you are in agreement with that? Hey, let's have God work on all of our hearts. Let's not walk the humanistic path. Let's walk the glorification path. Amen? Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. Thank you for being faithful to church this evening. I hope the word of God has enlightened your heart or your head and encouraged your heart. Go forth and be a good Christian. Let's pray and we'll be sent forth to serve the Lord. Brother Okai, would you please close us in prayer tonight?